Hello, you're listening to Radio Maria, and this is Questions of Faith with me, Tim Hutchinson. And today I have a new guest with us, Father Gregory Pearson, OP. Hello, Father Gregory. Oh, hello, Tim. Yeah, good to be here. Yes, lovely to have you with us. Um, and for those who've never listened to Questions of Faith before, what we do on this program is that we um, invite people to send us questions. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Father Gregory, if you wouldn't say a short prayer for us just to, to begin. Okay. Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and they shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who this instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Thank you. So uh, before we get on to the first question, um, I would like to just hear a little bit about, about who you are. We know that you're a Dominican, but maybe just one or two other things, because I don't think, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think we've had you on Red Maria before. Is that no, uh, yes, I, I don't think I'm, uh, except, <laughs> uh, except uh, at the office um, that, that's broadcast yes. from, from Blackfriars uh, morning and evening, but no, I've, I've never... Never spoken. So I'm uh, a Dominican friar um, based at Blackfriars in Cambridge, where I've been for the last three years, and where my my main responsibility is as novice master. So um, responsible for the brothers in their first year in the order when they've just joined, so introducing them to our way of life, to um, uh, the history, the practices, the um, uh, the prayer and the spirituality of the order um, to sort of lay the foundations for for them then going on mm -hmm. uh, in the Dominican life, and also as a you know a year of discernment for them, for, so to decide whether or not um, they want to to take their first vows in the order and right. begin a commitment to the life. So, uh, okay, so you're kind of like the. Um the first port of call for mm -hmm. the Dominicans when they come in. A very, that's right, yes. Very important uh, role. Um, great. So that's that's wonderful to, to have, um, yeah, to know a little bit about you. And now we're going to uh, fire some questions at you. <laughs> uh, so the first one I have is from Raj, uh, who is one of our faithful listeners, and he's often sending us in questions. Um, so I'm going to play a little voice note from him. Good morning, Father Gregory. Good morning, Tim. Uh, this is Raj. My question is about Colbrin Bible. Colbrin Bible has 11 books and would have been written at least 3,600 years ago in the same period that the Old Testament was written. It was discovered in 1970 at Yid Gede, the site of an ancient Jewish community near Dead Sea. Inside the ancient synagogue's ark, uh, my question is, does Catholic Church recognize this as a holy book? Thank you. So if you didn't hear um, that, because uh, that word is quite an unusual word, it's a Colbrin, K-O-L-B-R-I-N Bible, um, with 11 books purported to have been written in the year uh, uh, 1600 BC, 
and um, discovered in Aid Gedi in 1970. And Raj wants to know, does this, um, is it considered as a holy book by the Catholic Church? Okay, well, thank you very much for your question, Raj. Um, I mean, that, uh, the, the short answer is no, um, <laughs> uh, but um, perhaps uh, merits a little bit of explanation. Yeah. So the first thing to remember is that um, just because something's old, uh, it doesn't mean that it's uh, true. Uh, just because something's new, it doesn't mean that it's true either. Mm. Um, uh, part of the church's tradition is precisely to retain a discernment that that was undertaken in the early years of the church's um, life when there were many books um, circulating claiming to be um, in some way or other uh, whether books of the old testament or um, or gospels books of the new testament uh, claim you know before those terms had really come into being. Um, and one of the things that the church, through the living tradition that, that she had as a Christian community uh, founded by Christ on the foundation of the apostles, before these texts got a stable form, um, one of the things she does is, is to kind of measure these various texts um, uh, and their claims to authority, their claims to truth against the faith which she has received from the beginning. Uh, and it's that process of discernment, which is mostly complete by the third century, mm -hmm. uh, where she's kind of recognized, well, no, these, say, I mean, the most central thing, these four gospels are the, are the ones that are, that are the, authoritative gospels that tell us about jesus there are other texts that are called gospels the gospel of thomas the gospel of james uh but they're not scripture they're not the word of god they're they're texts that people have written um claiming to tell us something about jesus but we don't hold them as authoritative for us as christians yeah. they might tell us some interesting things about some ideas that were floating around uh in christian circles at that time uh, but they're not the word of God. Uh, they're not holy books. Uh, and so in the same way, you know, when we encounter you know, other texts um, that the church has not discerned, has not recognized as being the word of God, the word of scripture, then they might be interesting um, uh, texts that teach us something about something some people were saying or writing uh, 3,600 years ago, uh, but they're not scripture. Mm. But, so that's the first thing to say. And the second thing is to say that, that, that this particular text, the Colburn Bible, um, basically the, the scholars are, are, well, not really in disagreement. Most scholars, scholars hold that it, it's not authentic. Okay. Um, so there's also you know, the question of, well, it's claimed that it was found in the desert in 1970, but, was it there? There isn't sort of reliable scholarly evidence that that tells us that really is the case, and it's not that someone just made it up, basically. Um, uh, so, and obviously, when when the church 
you know, that's not a specific task of the church to descend that. That's the task of you know, experts in manuscripts and archaeology, those kinds of things. Um, so, and if, if if the scholarly consensus is true, then then this book doesn't even tell us anything about what people were thinking 3,600 years ago. It just tells that's us. That's very interesting, yeah. 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 So, okay. yeah, well, I, I just have a follow-on question from that. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of discovery by um, of this nature in, say, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, something like that, would merit a, uh, if, if, if such a thing, if there is such a case where the church would have to make some kind of statement on it? Well, I, so that's a very good question, Tim. Um, it, it would seem that one of the interesting things, as you, you mentioned, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is a, a big collection of texts that mm -hmm. were found in, in caves, uh, in settlements around the Dead Sea um, from the late 1940s onwards. Uh, and they do contain, they, they've been scholarly, they've been authenticated by scholars as, as really coming from, you know, the centuries around the time of Christ, mm -hmm. um, first century BC, first century AD, that kind of time. Um, and what we do have there, for example, is, um, some Hebrew, some texts of some books of the Bible in Hebrew that are slightly different from uh, the, the the Hebrew texts that um, that we you know we had had and currently use. Um, not not different in substantial ways, um, and obviously we already have to deal with. You know, that's again one of the work of biblical scholars is to recognise we we have a variety of manuscripts uh, of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially mm -hmm. the New Testament, because so many people wanted copies of it that there were an awful lot of copies. Um, uh, and you know, because of human error in copying, um, especially, but you know, they're, they're, they're slightly different. And, and one of the works of um, scriptural scholars is to try and find, well, what's the, what's the best, the most ancient mm -hmm. um, uh, version of the text and does that tell us anything interesting? Um, though, of course, again, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we've got the question of, well, when we've just found these things in the desert, how do we know that this isn't a change that the group of people living mm. in the desert made yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to to another text that, that, that had been used? had been used by, shall we say, the more mainstream um, uh, Jewish community. The, the, again, the archaeologists tell us that, that this was a, a sort of a, a, a group of um, Jews, but slightly on the margins of Judaism. And, the Essenes, um, or is yeah, it not? Yes. Do we believe yes. it's the Essenes? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, the, that's the suggestion, though, again, people... Right. Uh, you know, people can argue about well, what was it? One systematic group of people in all these caves around the Dead Sea yeah. was it a single, or were, were they, you know, were they different groups? Um, and were all the texts found there originate? Did they all originate in the group, or were some of them brought there from Jerusalem? You know, people can make all sorts of arguments. One one of the particularly interesting things about um, some of the texts of the the, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls in Hebrew is that they. Uh, so in some places, um, you know, uh, the Greek text of the Old Testament 
um, we have actually have older manuscripts for yeah. uh, prior to the Dead Sea than, than the Hebrew texts. Um, uh, and in some places, they're slightly different, um, you know, among other things. That's why you end up with two different numbers of the Psalms, is because the, yeah. the Greek it's a the very Greek frustrating. Tradition. We've yes. actually uh, dealt with that on on questions of faith. Yes, <laughs> uh, um, yes. Uh, is because the Greek and the Hebrew traditions had you know, numbered them slightly differently, divided them up slightly differently. Yeah. Um, but actually, one of the things you find is that some of the Hebrew texts found in the, you know, among the Dead Sea Scrolls correspond more closely to the the Greek text of the Old Testament right. than the. Uh, our later um, Hebrew text, yeah, which, are, which are, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. That, that's really it's, interesting. And I think what's what's interesting about this topic is just to see how um, the church's authority um, and scholarship and mm -hmm. um, archaeology and all these other things uh, relate to one another. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose it can open up all kinds of interesting questions. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's nice to kind of know that we're not really at the mercy of what's going to be suddenly dug up um, mm -hmm. in the Holy Land because we're not sort of resting our faith on, on those things. Um, I know that Aidan Nichols has a very interesting uh, kind of thought experiment in the shape of Catholic theology of what what would happen if we suddenly dug up a, a letter of, of St. Paul, you know, that that hadn't that hadn't existed um and he has a very interesting answer to that of saying well um we believe that we have the canon mm. you know by the holy spirit's given it to the church um and uh, so we wouldn't actually we we would consider that interesting but not not uh probably not canonical or at least that's his yeah. his view which i i think is is yes. is quite yes. sound um yeah i think we, let's let's listen to a piece of music Melanie Penn singing Psalm 23. Once again, you're listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria, and we're taking questions, and um, Father Gregory Pearson from the Dominican Friars here in Cambridge is our guest today. Now, I have a question about, uh, which pertains to church authority, and um, it's, it's based on the account of the council in um, Jerusalem, that you find in the book of Acts. And um, I, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, and I only really looked at this um, fairly recently as a potential scriptural proof for the authority of a church council. And I wanted to know if if that's a valid interpretation of of that scripture. So, in in the book of Acts fifteen, um, a dispute is settled over whether Gentiles 
um, need to go through uh, the whole Jewish uh, rite of circumcision and take on the whole Jewish law in order to be incorporated into the church. And the council settles it as a no. And then there's this interesting phrase in Acts 15 verse 28 where when they're promulgating the decrees of the council, they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And I find that really quite fascinating. So my question is, is this a scriptural, does this, is this a scriptural attestation to the authority of a church council and more specifically of the infallibility of a church council? That's an excellent question. Yes. Um, uh, and I think how I would approach it by, well, okay. The, the short answer, yes and no. Uh, um, uh, so, uh, and the reason, uh, to a certain extent, no, is because I think we have to recognise uh, the the special case uh, of what we're reading about in Acts, where the participants are the apostles. Uh, right. So, if you remember. Um, we understand that um, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the apostles um, is, of course, handed on in the church, but they received a, a gift unique to them of continuing to receive the fullness of revelation. Um, so uh, we yeah. believe that the revelation, the fullness of revelation is in Jesus, Uh uh, but it's the apostles guided by the Holy Spirit after Pentecost who come to understand uh, you know, what that entails. Yes. Um, and what we talk about, what's been revealed by Jesus, what the apostles in their teaching have uh, expounded of the teaching of who Jesus is and what he says it does um, is what we call the deposit of faith. So when we say as Christians, we have to believe, we, mm -hmm. we, we believe in God, we believe in Christ, uh, but that our faith does involve believing a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. not Contents. just believing a bunch yeah. of stuff, uh, but, but uh, believing in Christ means believing uh, am I, I think, a set of things, uh, a set of propositions. So it's kind of like uh, there's there's belief in yes. a person, like when you yeah. trust a person, but then you yeah. also trust what the person says. Well, yes, yes, right. exactly. Um, and uh, we believe that basically that there are there are things that um, the apostles didn't know in 33 AD. Uh, but by let's say 40 AD or 50 AD, they 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 under the guidance of the Holy Spirit did know, uh, came to teach the early church, uh, and that forms part of the deposit of faith. What mm. what we believe when we have faith as Christians. Yeah. Um, the way the church talks about her subsequent activity is not so is not adding to that deposit of faith it's not adding to uh the range of things the set of things um that um we believe god's taught us mm -hmm. um what the church does 
after the apostles is to interpret what she's received. Okay. Um, uh, so, so the church's authority, when we talk about the church uh, acting infallibly uh, in teaching, what she's doing is she's saying, this is part of what was revealed to us, what we have received from the apostles, or this isn't. Right. Uh, this teaching is, you know, either to, is part of what we've received. It's you know logically connected uh, with um, with the things that that are explicitly stated mm. uh, in scripture, for example, uh, and therefore it is part of the deposit of faith. Uh, whereas the apostles themselves. So in the Acts of the Apostles, yeah. they don't need to say, in a sense, they don't need to be doing this that first step of, is this something that has been handed on to us from the Apostles? Because they yeah. are the Apostles. Yeah. Uh, they, they're asking, is this what the Holy Spirit is showing us? Right. That's the only question they need to ask themselves because that, that, that's what... Uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the apostles was um, to um, render explicit what um, what uh, God is revealing to us when mm -hmm. he saves us in Jesus. Um, and so, which is one of the reasons why the church doesn't, you know, when we're listing you know, the ecumenical councils of the church. We don't list the Council of Jerusalem as one yeah. of them. Uh, we call it the Council of Jerusalem because it's a catchy name, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and we need something um, to refer to it by. Yeah. But it's not a church council in the way that subsequent councils are church councils because it's not interpreting what it's received. It is the apostles themselves directly receiving that revelation by their prayer, by their attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, uh, so the dynamics are rather different. Yeah, and I see that. it's not to say that we don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the church now, um, but the ho and it's not to say the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal things to us now. Yeah. But what it does mean is that when we as individuals uh, seek to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, even as groups in the church, you know, mm -hmm. communities or whatever, seek to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, that what, what might well be being revealed to us is not part of what you have to believe to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that's revealed to us in a particular situation for a particular need, but that's why we call it private revelation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, whereas public revelation, what's being taught to the world, for the world, for its salvation in Jesus, uh, ends with the death of the last apostle is the traditional way of formulating it. Yeah. Um, so we can't add to um, the things that are part of the faith. Uh, we can merely sort of delve deeper um, into mm -hmm. what, what, what the faith is, what it entails. Uh, and so when a church council after the apostles is is doing that um yes they're they're seeking but yeah in the same way by uh attentiveness uh to um uh the word of god uh by you know attentive by by prayer by 
um, conforming themselves to God through living a, uh, a Christian life, uh, but also by the use of their intellect, by the use of the, you know, the, the accepted sources of tradition, especially scripture, uh, but also you know, the church's liturgy, the church's constant practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say, well, to identify, is this part of what we have been taught to believe by Christ? Yeah. Um, uh, and so the decision is operating at a slightly different level. Uh, so, which is one of the differences between um, uh, infallibility. Uh, uh, so remember, infallibility is, a, is, is in a sense a negative thing. Um, it's saying, it's not saying that, that teaching this is a good idea. It's not saying that um, this is going to be a helpful thing for people. It's not saying um, uh, even this is the message that God wants to communicate to people. What it's saying is this is not, this thing you're teaching is not fundamentally erroneous, actually infallible. It's not, uh, you're not, you're not stating the direct contrary of what is true. Um, um, whereas the, you know, whereas we think the apostles, uh, because they are proclaiming revelation, are precisely announcing the word of God. Yeah, they're uh, insp- would you yes. say they're, they're inspired? They're inspired. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. yes. So, yeah. so um, inspiration would be yes. new revelation. Yeah. Um, yes. And infallibility, infallible teaching would be a protecting what's yeah. inspired mm-hmm. what's yes. already been inspired yeah okay yeah yes um so that's a good way of putting it yes so yeah so we can't use this uh passage from acts to kind of justify the fact that councils are infallible can we uh, I, I would say uh we can not in itself, not okay. not not by virtue of the fact that the apostles could speak infallibly, or as we would say, yeah, you know, as you say, in an, through inspiration. Right. Uh, we can't say therefore, uh, simply therefore, uh, any church council uh, is is in the same position. Um, mm. uh, but what we can, you know. Uh, we can say that um, this, even if it, you know, the apostles are still models for us, even if we're yeah, not apostles. Yeah. Uh, and so we can say that this approach to, and, and that's the interesting thing, you know, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, but the way in which they open themselves, you know, the way they listen uh, to the Holy Spirit is by coming together, discussing it, mm. debating it, um, and together reaching a conclusion. Mm-hmm. So even that process of inspiration is not, it's not simply sitting there and waiting for a little voice to appear in their head. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's in a human way and, and, a, and a social way because the church is a community. So it's the, the church coming together um, uh, in the apostles. So, I think what we can do is to see this as a model of 
how the church answers disputed questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Good. In, yeah. in obedience to, to the Holy Spirit. Um, right. Yes. Fascinating. Okay, I'm going to have to rethink some of the um, the apologetical uh, arguments I've had towards Protestants about the <laughs> the validity of of um, church councils and how they have the authority to mm-hmm. to make proclamations. But that's that's something for me to do some homework <laughs> on. Um, let's listen to another piece of music I want to play as "Pants the Heart" um, by Maggie Pryor and the Carnival Band. And when we come back, we'll be taking some more questions. I have one specifically about uh, about um, confession that I want to ask you, because Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band singing "As Pants the Heart." As pants the heart for cooling streams when heated in the chase, so loves my soul. You're listening to Questions of Faith on Radio Maria with me, Tim Hutchinson, and with Father Gregory Pearson. One of the questions that we had uh, from from Charles here in the studio a little bit earlier today was he was saying, why is it that we can't do uh, virtual confessions, meaning confessions through Zoom or maybe some other medium like on a phone call or something like that? Um, and this is a question I've also asked uh, before the lockdown, <laughs> but I'm sure very many people asked it uh, during COVID um, because of the fact, because of the obvious reasons of not being able to to get to confession. So, what what is the um, answer to that, Father Gregory? Oh, uh, thank you, Tim. Yes, another very good question. Um, I think the way, and there are several kind of angles you could approach this from, uh, but I think the way we firstly want to do it is about, um, is is to remember that the celebration of the sacraments is always um, liturgical. Uh, It's always a public act of the church. So confession can feel like something private. I mean, obviously, you know, in, in 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 very important senses, it is private, you know, hedged around with with privacy, with secrecy, with with the inviolable seal that what you say will never be um, revealed outside the confessional. It feels like it's just you and the priest, or you and the priest and God, um, uh, and therefore, you know, you know, we're used to private conversations that we have you know, in a room meeting someone and private conversations that we have on a phone or on a Zoom call or whatever it might be. Um, but in fact, um, that's not fundamental to what's going on in confession. What's fundamental to what's going on in confession is um, that this is an act of the church, that this is reconciling someone uh, to the community of the church, and indeed rather scary, and I think we're all pretty glad that this isn't what happens now, uh, in the early centuries of the church's life, uh, confession was public. You know, it, it was in front of everybody uh, in the church 
that you confess to your sins uh, and uh, and in front of everybody that the bishop imposed a penance, usually, you know, usually a penance that might take, you know, months, if not years to complete. Uh, um, so, uh, and there are, there are good reasons why that, why the church in the course of time uh, came to think that um, that that you know, public you know, that publicity of, of of the contents of confession um, mm. uh, you know, was not necessary and conducive to people's piety, mm. uh, conducive to people's uh, use of of the sacraments. You know, the sacraments are there for people, not people for the sacraments. Yeah. So. Uh, if there are, um, you know, if there were just ways of doing things that 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 unnecessarily made it hard for people, to change. Um, uh, I mean, we could go in. I mean, there's there's a long history of, of how this practice of of, of private um, confession came about. You know, the 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 Celtic monks, the Irish monks, yes, uh, quite a big yeah. uh, part in that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also it's also hard to know. Um, how much the, the, there might have been private confession before for sort of private sins, because it does seem that this public confession was, in a sense, for things that everybody knew about anyway. Okay. Uh, it was it was a way of publicly showing to the community that knew what you'd done that you were really sorry for it. Um, so uh, and there's there's all sorts of things one could talk about there, but the fundamental point, um, you know, whatever whatever the context. In which you express your sins and and to how many human listeners you have, uh, is that this is um, this is the celebration of a sacrament, therefore a public act of the church, an act in the name of the church, uh, not just and you know, and uh, an act through which we're through the action of the church's minister. You know, the priest giving absolution, God act. Um, uh, it's not just you know uh, uh, you know counselling. Uh, it's not just uh, a sort of administrative process, uh, but uh, a celebration of sacrament. Therefore, a an act of prayer. Um, uh, and you know, just as we recognise you, know, we can we can listen to mass on the radio watch mass on on the live stream but that's not the same thing as going to mass uh that's um witnessing through technological means that something is happening somewhere else um uh and in the same way you know we could you can you can talk through your difficulties on the phone mm -hmm. um you can um you know you you can you can seek counsel on the phone but Absolution. So in a sense, yes, you could you could confess on the phone. It's the absolution yes. you can't do on the phone, right, right. Uh, because that's um, as I said, that that that's, and it's not just to you know, just as your know, priest can't sort of um, right. I'm going to say mass in um, Johannesburg. So I'm going to ask someone to put some bread and wine on a table in Johannesburg, and me here say the words of consecration. That, yeah. That, that that doesn't work, and the reason it doesn't work is because um, 
the the action has a, has an integrity that includes an integrity of place. It's not just saying some magic words. Right. Um, uh, it's it's an act of worship um, that involves speech and action and presence and you know, uh, and in the same way that we're going to say confession is a um, is a is a is a celebration of a sacrament, an act of prayer, an act of worship um, that involves. Um, not bread and wine, but uh, the church's minister and a penitent sinner coming together um, uh, and uh, mm. together um, celebra- celebrating the sacrament, not just, you know, um, zapping from a distance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 we've only got a minute left, so I'm going to have to s- stop, like literally a minute. <laughs> but um, I have some other questions actually that have just occurred to me uh, as we've been talking about this. But maybe that's something we can pick up at a, at another time. But thank you so much, uh, Father Gregory, for for um, uh, for being on this program. We hope to have you again soon. Shall we end with uh, Glory B? Very good. Um, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it, as was, it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.